This episode is sponsored by National Treasures Artists in Residence. National Treasures funds artist participation in artists in residence programs during their twilight years. They also forge mentorships so that expertise honed over years will be passed along one-on-one to a younger generation of artists and memorialized in a digital library. Visit nationaltreasuresair.org. On this episode, we have Sean Cassidy. Sean is a leading digital marketer and moderator of the Virtual League group on LinkedIn. He began his career pursuing his lifelong love of art, and after a brief stint in the military, began helping people build their brands, particularly those with a creative background. He has worked with such notable digital companies as Travelocity. Well, uh, thank you so much, Sean, for being on our show. Yeah, it's my honor. I'm really honored to be on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, wanted to start with your, your background, um, and uh, I've learned that your family hails from Galway, Ireland. Um, when was the transition? Which generation came to the States? Well, my father, my father is Irish. My mother's French. Okay. And so, yeah, there's, there's interesting hybrid, but we, we grew up in the South side of Chicago, which is very Irish actually, at that time was very big immigrant Irish space and South side of Chicago. Uh, so that, that's where we kind of intersected. I, I'm a first generation immigrant myself. So. I'm okay. first kind of lost the accent, you would say, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, because they have a very strong uh, accent there in that yes. part. Of, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, and uh, I know in Chicago is very Irish. I think for St. Patrick's Day, don't they turn the river green? Oh, yeah, very. Yeah, huge Irish population in Chicago. Yeah, like Boston. It's like one of those second cities of the Irish immigrant experience in the United States, I think. Boston yeah. and Chicago, yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, New York as well, strong uh, Irish um, oh, yeah. backdrop. And what's always fascinating is the statistic that uh, I think the population of Ireland is 5 million, but mm-hmm. there are 30 million Americans who trace their roots to uh, Irish ancestry. Yeah, it's huge. It has a lot to do with the waves of immigration yes. and also the, during the famine. Potato uh, famine. The, 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 the potato yeah. famine, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, Born in Chicago, South Side of Chicago. When did you come to uh, uh, San Diego, Southern California? Um, I got married, and that really got me to San Diego. Uh, my wife had family in San Diego, gotcha. so um, that got me to 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 that part of the country. But I, I had served in the Air Force years ago, and I'd been in Texas. So I I went from Chicago to Texas, then Texas to California. Okay. So well, yeah. I know you studied at the uh, School of the Art Institute of Chicago. So was the Air Force before or after? The Air Force is after, actually. Yeah, well, I actually this is went. Fascinating. Yeah, show. so I actually, um, yeah, I have an artistic background. I, I was a an artist at a very young age, and I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and I was a painter and printmaker, like early digital graphics person when you know back when Apple was a bubble. Sure. And. Um, after I got out of school, I'd put myself through college in the School of the Arts. I went to Universal Illinois as well. And then I went into the Air Force. So yeah, very big, drastic change, actually. Uh, I do want to talk about the transition to the Air Force. But before we go there, um, growing up, um, what do you think it was that attracted you to the arts? What was that? Spark? Oh, wow. The arts were everything to me. Um, at a very young age, um, I began to make art. And I collected 
a huge volume of art. I had a huge portfolio when I went to the School of the Art Institute. They were very impressed by that. They were like, oh, how you so much artwork. Um, I painted everything, you know, I think I started around four or five. And then, um, you know, kids draw, right? They draw. But I went from drawing to an obsession, I think. And it was something I would do hours and hours on end, drawing. And I would paint my ceilings. I would do frescoes in my room. Everything, every part of my room was painted. It was crazy. That's so great. Uh, so, was there a favorite subject matter to your drawings and paintings? Um, I got obsessed with surrealism at a young age okay. and studying surrealism. So I used to uh, record my dreams. Like when I was started about 12 or 13, I would have a little dream journal. Wow. And I would write down my dreams and then I would try to paint my dreams. Yeah, yeah. Who were some of your favorite surrealist painters? Oh, wow. Uh, Man Ray was a great surrealist yeah. painter, you know. Um, oh, there's so many of those, you know. I'm partial to Max Ernst. Yeah, Max Ernst, well, he's German. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very, he's, he's got that kind of, you know, great kind of emotion to all of his work, right? Yeah, it's very intense. Yeah. yeah. I was studying the photographers, actually, the surrealist photographers more than I were the painters, even though I was painting. So, yeah, yeah. interesting in that way. Well, and then um, you talked about, uh, or I, I read that Phyllis Bramson was a, a, a big influence on you. Yes, Phyllis Bramson. She was part of the major movement in Chicago, you know, that Harry Hu movement and that early movement in the Chicago Images group in Chicago. That would influence my work a lot. Yes. And the Chicago Images, you know, they, they were a group, and there was only a couple of very well-known women in the group. She was a part of it. And I had studied with her at School of the Art Institute and also at University of Illinois. She became a very well-known professor there. Yes. And um, she taught me a lot. She taught me a lot. Uh, she has this way of using objects that's very interesting about her work. She'll, she'll take collages and images from, from stuff from Japanese prints and then she'll cut them and make images of them. And she has an amazing way of making emotions through colors and through collages, you know, hooked to paintings. And they have a lot of depth to them. So she was, she was very influential in my, in my work. Yeah. That that she was very influential to my work. Now I know that um, uh, you've maintained kind of this art thread throughout your life. Uh, are you still practicing? Are you still creating? Yeah, I still do. And and and, and you know what's been a part of this uh, crisis that we're in? I've actually produced a lot more art. That's I've had a lot more time, you know, to work on it. You know, like I'm, I'm more at home and yeah. producing a lot of a lot more art right now than I've probably done in a couple of years. Yeah, you yeah. know, so. It's interesting though how artists have such a different take on isolation and um, uh, sort of the lockdown because uh, that's often a mode they go into regularly when they're having a creative inspiration or, or they're in that flow state and they'll just be in there for days and the output is, is extraordinary. So um, I'm glad to hear that it's been a, a creative uh, time for you. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think your mind is actually the the thing you play in all the time right now like the world that your mind is your world so yeah. you can get very absorbed in your mind and making art absolutely yeah absolutely. so um school of the art institute of chicago then university of illinois what mm -hmm. drew you to the air force well um i came out of school i went to a private design school it's probably 
quite expensive, that school. And then the other school was that. So I had some student loan debt. And I was thinking of, you know, what would I could do after that to, to, you know, go from that to that. So it was, I talked to my brother who had been in the Air Force. And he said, why don't you do that? And I'm like, well, that's very radical actually to go in the military I was like I was totally against it uh but he said why don't you try it you know you could do that maybe you'll travel and you know then you'll work on getting over, over your student loans debt and all that stuff so I uh, yeah I did it I don't regret doing it. it it actually changed the way I work yeah. uh my creative work changed and everything else in my work changed from the, my time in the service do you yeah find it, was it... It, it, it changed my worldview and it also mm-hmm. changed the way I I did I I became I probably more Structured after that, I became a very stru- much more structured individual. So, and, did that yeah. correlate with a uh, move away from surrealism artistically? A little bit, yeah, it did. It, it, it got more into uh, representation of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ironic, right? But I, yeah. I, I began to study like the flows of nature all the time. I was based in Texas and I was based in the Middle East and I was based in Japan. So I, I really got a, a world of nature, I guess, outside of my time in the service. I got to spend interesting nature, seeing Amazing. different parts of the world that way. Yeah. How many years were you in the service? It was six years. Six oh. years. Yeah. So you uh, left as a captain? Yeah. Yeah. About, well, I, I got out before I became a captain, but okay. I studied, yeah. Uh, Right before becoming a captain, I became a captain, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, then um, guide us from there, Sean, to um, uh, this firm, Interactive Marketing. And, and, and I, I must say, most artists struggle with marketing. Uh, but right. built a brilliant career out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically an artist that became kind of a creative business person, you know, and people talk to me, that's a really rare transition. Yeah, they say that. Um, well, I did, and you see that kind of my background, there's a transition that is an interesting because when I got out of the service, I went back to Chicago my first winter and I couldn't take winter anymore. I was like mm. freezing. <laughs> I, had, I had been out of winter for so long, for like six years, uh, Texas, the Middle East, you know, those were warm areas. Um, and so when I came back, I, I couldn't take the winter. So I, I flew back to Texas uh, from Chicago my first like a couple of months back, I was like, I- I'm going to live in warm weather now. And I went to look for a gig and a job uh, right out of the military. And I just got lucky. I got picked up by a startup. And that startup was called the internet company called Travelocity. That was the early years oh, yes. of e-commerce and travel online. So I had spent two years in their corporate office uh, helping them train about how to do online marketing and sell products and services online and training their a lot of their people out of my background that I had coming out of the service. And uh, the reason I got involved with interactive marketing, I was presenting for them in New York City. And I was doing workshops about how everything would be sold online in the travel space. Mm-hmm. And back then, people were thought it was kind of novel. It was like, that's not going to happen. But they thought it was interesting. Uh, and a couple of VPs kept attending those workshops. And they eventually recruited me. Okay. It took them three months. I said no for three months. They re- eventually recruited me to leave Travelocity and work for interactive marketing. And that's uh, where the transition hit. Interactive marketing would pre-open hotels, restaurants, yeah. strip malls. And I became a road warrior for 15 years, basically, doing that kind of hardcore business development on the ground. Amazing. Wow. Not an easy task. Um, 
and um, uh, you were married at the time. To juggling yeah. that as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What were some of the more memorable openings that you had? Well, um, wow, there's so many. But right before 9/11, mm -hmm. um, I was opening up a resort in Atlanta, and we had had this beautiful kind of opening in uh, in Atlanta near. And 9/11 uh, hit, and it was so interesting because the, the business had done so well, and then all at once everything just shrieked to a halt. And I was I was stuck in Atlanta for like three weeks. Wow. So that's one of the memorable experiences I had in that process. I mean, like transition, you know. And of course, it kind of relates to how we feel now in a way, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you knew that life was never going to be the same. Right. And then in the in the business side of it, I I actually had helped a series of hotels resorts in Mexico. And th those were interesting, you know, resorts build up in resort areas. And I, it was fascinating to work in other countries because I got the chance to work in other countries. You know, it was, it was, my, it was my, my early education of working internationally. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Well, um, did September 11th, I imagine it impacted your business um, uh, for a, a short period of time. But did you stay with um, uh, interactive marketing and sort of, slog it through the downturn? Yeah, we started to actually at that time early was working a lot in the virtual, like helping people sell and more online, mm. like help them get interactively connected to Travelocity, Expedia, all the areas, you know, they knew about. And so we were actually helping people book uh, hotels much more virtually than we were on the ground after that. And so we've started focusing what we saw would be the new way. And that became very popular in, in the business. That became gotcha. very needed in the business. Gotcha. Well, and then from there, you have done marketing for digital marketing specifically for a wide range of industries. Was that after you left interactive marketing and then you moved from hospitality onwards? Well, at some point I decided to work for myself yeah. and um, I had worked as a private strategist or consultant for this age for interactive marketing for some time. Um, but at some point I said, um, I'm going to go on my own. And that's, that's when I had diversified. I started to diversify and look at different industries, like, you know, help creatives, help inter people entertain, help people in technology. And I wasn't working, just working in the tourism or marketing sector, which really what that interactive was about. I started to diversify a lot. And I started to work with creatives because I like to. Yeah. I like 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 to work with creatives. I started to work because I I found them interesting because yeah. I was a creative. Yeah. Nice. Um, what were some of your favorite industries to work in? Well, I helped an inventor, a woman inventor, and she got national attention. And um, I just had super joy from that. She went from having a concept on a piece of paper to uh, you know to being promoted in Forbes and getting wow. national media and. Uh, Can you share with us what the idea was? Yeah, her name was Frances Prado. And uh, when I met Frances Prado, she showed me a piece of paper uh, of an idea. And I said, it's a brilliant idea. It's like a Bed Bath & Beyond idea, of course, today. that would. Uh, But what she did was um, she created the first, uh, it's called Hanging Secrets, and it would organize women's lingerie so they wouldn't go back and you would put them in your closet. Mm. And I thought, I thought to myself, this has to exist, right? It has to exist world and when i started to look I, I found it the idea and concept did not exist in the world at this time yeah. uh and she was telling me how you know she 
Okay, I'd noticed that everything went bad and were actually very expensive. And women spent a lot of money on this. So I, I had a huge ed education about women's things through this process of helping this woman. And then, you know, uh, and so her, her invention later went on to win Home Shopping Network. And so how it happened was, is uh, we started the project, uh, the concept for, for her launch with uh, hooking the product into breast cancer survivors. Mm, wow. So 10% oh, of every, everything that, you know, so here it was a very intimate product for women, actually, their intimate apparel. And then I said, you need to hook this to an emotional aspect, social good. Because when I work with people, I, I like to work with the idea of, of helping people, not just, I'm a social entrepreneur. Uh, I, I like to help them make money, but I like to help them do social good with the money. And so we, we aligned it so that it would give to breast cancer survivors the product. And we chose 12 breast cancer survivors here in San Diego to do uh, a grand opening of the product. And we did complete makeovers of, of those women so that they looked like models and they felt really wonderful about themselves. And at the end of the action pageantry, we had the local media got involved because we were giving to breast cancer survivors. So they loved the story and she gave her product at the end. And so it got some local news attention. And then that local news attention started to, to expand, you know, virally, because people love the story about her giving to breast cancer survivors and helping breast cancer survivors. And um, so uh, she applied for Home Shopping Network, which was they were looking for the next great inventor, female inventor. And she competed with about 500 other, other people, and she, uh, she uh, became top five. Mm -hmm. And then she pitched... Uh, in the top five, she got sent to their corporate location, pitched, and won the pitch. And so she got 15 minutes of fame on the Home Shopping Network. And that would, that would launch her, her career uh, as an inventor. Yeah. Of course, that was her first invention, but now she's made other inventions. <laughs> now right, she's right. An, a well-known inventor. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, for it, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Sean. That's very touching. Just, uh, you know, the, the angle of uh, a breast cancer survivor often goes through surgery and their body yeah. changes. And this notion of, of essentially making them feel beautiful again um, is really a, phenomenal. Yeah, it's about really, it's a human condition, you know. Business is more than business. It's about the human condition, I think, too. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what is it about marketing that draws you to it? But I think you answered that with that uh, example. The social aspect of it, the, the moving people, the helping creatives. Um, that, that feels like that's your uh, inspiration and why marketing is so interesting to you. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm a creative at, at heart. I'm really not a business person at heart. I'm really an artist at heart. So I think artists make people feel. And yeah. so what I, I do is, is work in the, that space. When marketing, I, I want my products to have feelings. Yeah. Yeah, I want them to, to help people and impact people's lives. That's really great. I love that. I want my products to have feelings. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> well said. Um, at some point, you started doing uh, keynote addresses and became a keynote speaker. When did that happen? Well, a couple of my clients had, had that had happened to, to several of my clients where they ended up getting national attention. So some people would say, Sean, you should talk about what you do. And I was like, at the beginning, I was like, I was actually like a producer behind the scenes. I would never really talk about what my process or what I did with people. But a couple of people approached me and said, Sean, you should talk about this. And I said, well, okay, I'll try it. 
And um, that led me to go, wow. And, and after I started talking, everybody goes, Sean, I want to work with you. So I was like, oh, wow, this is like a really great area for people to know about working with me. So I stepped, I just kept speaking and then I kept getting referred to speak. And so it was chambers of commerce and then groups of organizations and things like that. And I would start speaking about digital business and like the future of digital business, you know, where I saw the future going. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Um, well, and, and of course, uh, now you've launched this uh, virtual league and you're the moderator of it and chief creative officer. Um, share with us about the genesis of that idea and, and, and your vision for the group. Mm. Well, when I was back at Travelocity, I started to think about uh, virtual business networks because I was seeing how much money was being bought online. I, I think when I left Travelocity, I did $10 billion in online sales in one year. So that was a volume of sales, right? So I, I was like, you know, that's being done like in an hour by Amazon right now, even in the midst of this. And so the volume was so huge. So I thought, you know, virtual business networks would become really important. So I started building them like 15 years ago. I started making business networks. And when the pandemic hit, the first, the day after when California closed down, you know, we're closing down, I thought to myself, wow, we're the fifth largest economy in the world. If they can close California, they can close the world. I mean, right? I mean, back then it was like, wait, is California just going to close? Okay. And that's a huge economy, right? Absolutely. Right? Uh, so, and I said, if they close the world down, that would be that so many more people would be virtual that were never virtual before. There would be a, a virtual society. And I had been speaking for seven years about how I think that we'll become a virtual global economy. Like, Everything will be virtually purchased online and services and products will be virtual. Uh, so that was the idea the day I woke up. And then I started to talk to some people about a name, you know. And, you know, here in San Diego, we're really big for the Comic-Con, right? This is the idea of the, the comic books, right? It's a huge event. And unfortunately, I think it won't be held here anymore, but in this year because of the, because of the crisis. Uh, so I thought, you know, what if we had digital superheroes? Uh, what if I could organize the idea of a digital superhero could save the world and just start organizing people digitally as superheroes? You know, like they already had the ability to make a living online. They already had the knowledge. They had already been adapted. And then they had this great digital divide that I was seeing. Like there's going to be a lot of people that don't know how to do this virtual space, don't, don't know how to make podcasts, don't know how to, you know, promote themselves virtually or, or make a living virtually. And I had been doing it for some many years. So I thought, it, you know, first I had to do is build a high level network of people that knew how to do that, that could help other, basically the league, the, the virtual league, the, the league of amazing people, leagues of amazing entrepreneurs that were virtual entrepreneurs. And that was, that was the genesis of the idea. That's great. And I love the, uh, it feels like it's a reference to the league of extraordinary gentlemen. Right. Exactly. It is a reference. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Nicely done. That's great. Um, Sean, uh, it's, it's wonderful that you started this and, and I especially appreciate the, the kind of nod or acknowledgement of the challenging time that uh, people are going through right now um, in terms of, you know, not only California, but essentially worldwide being on, on lockdown. Um, you've advised over 5,000 people. What advice would you have for, for people now, especially those who have lost their job? Mm. Well, I think we're going back to community and a digital community. So I think 
hooking into your community, surrounding community is very, very important. I think it's hooking into the SBA, the business spaces, the other business owners, uh, the influences in the A's, the local government, and creating a digital support network around you. So the first thing you have to do is kind of build a team too, a digital team, a team that you can support you and guide you in all different ways. You know, I think uh, all aspects of your life, you should have like a digital organization of it now so that you have a support team, it, not just for emotional, also for advisement. And uh, the people that have lost their jobs now, well, here's something profound, right? I mean, I, I do a lot of advanced training on LinkedIn. That's why I'm doing initially the group in LinkedIn. And, you know, I think this is the area that people need to be focused on if they're going to get in reworking or retraining. They need to be focused on where the corporate entities are headed in hiring, because there's a lot of businesses right now that actually aren't impacted by this. They're actually doing well from it, to be honest. I mean, in the tech sectors, a lot of these sectors are doing quite well from this. Uh, others Steaming are not. companies. Streaming companies, Netflix becomes the richest company, you know, in the world, more, more wealthy than oil companies, uh, you know, in just weeks. I mean, it's crazy how we, things have turned around. So I think the opportunity there is, is large in some companies right now. It's really large and they're going to really need a lot of people. And so the future, the future is there. You have to interconnect yourself into the right corporations and companies right now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fascinating that uh, you point out specifically Netflix. I, I feel like as we've all been at home burning through this content, there's going to be a, a, a strong demand for for content um, uh, in, in, the, in the ensuing quarters. Um, but I, I kind of uh, mesh that with the fact that uh, worldwide uh, live action production has been shut down. So is it going to be uh, the animators day? It could be. It could be. You know, I've been talking to a lot of people in entertainment uh, recently, even, in, even globally. And what's fascinating about this is like, how do you get back to actual studio time? Sure. And, you know, uh, you know and, uh, let's say you have a Tom Cruise on the set, you know, and how does Tom Cruise get protected from getting, you know, a virus? Right. And, and, and he's insured for like $28 million in this, right. this film, right? So I, I think this is where the, the profound thing comes into avatars, the use of anima, you know, all these areas where, you know, before this, they were starting to do this in entertainment where they were bringing people back to life, you know, that mm -hmm. were very famous and they had performers next to them. And I think that's going to increase quite a lot. But I also think that's going to, you know, you could be a famous person sitting at home and then you'd be made into an animated avatar from that. And then that's your acting within a space, but you're not physically involved with anybody, but then it comes together as a movie. Amazing. Uh, I, think, I think we're headed in, 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 in that direction a lot. And mostly that is because of liability. I mean, I think we're, you know, the liability coming out of this sector is really going to be interesting in education and entertainment. Um, you know, I, I really am curious how they're going to help handle liability issues with people, especially with people that are valued, very valued, right? Very yeah. valued individuals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. That's really thoughtful. Absolutely. Um, great. Sean, I'd like to ask, when did the hat become a part of your signature look? Mm. My my father loved hat. And I think I got it from him. You know, my father always wore hats. And they say that you become like your parents a little bit later in life, right? But um 
And then people ask me, are you bald, Sean? I'm so no, I'm not bald, you know, because I always wear hats. You know, it's I, when I speak, I wear hats, I wear like hats. Um, I, I think I just started to like the look of it. But it, again, I think I got that from my father. My father liked hats. Nice. I think there's people that are hat people, you know, they really yeah. like hats. Yeah. Uh, but it also becomes, you know, I guess people started to recognize me in that way. So I, I guess I had to keep going, you know, otherwise they would go, okay. You know, so. <laughs> well, it gives a very distinguished look. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean, do you have any parting thoughts? Well, I would like to send out a sense of oneness to everybody right now in the world, because um, I believe in the idea of oneness. I believe we're all interconnected. So what I do for myself, I do for others and what they do for me. So it's a work. I believe there's a oneness right now in the world. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are feeling pain because they can't feel into that oneness, you know, mm -hmm. that everybody is concerned about everybody else and everybody loves everybody else in this kind of oneness that we're in right now in the world. Um, so, you know, kind of ask people to cook into that power, really, that, you know, there's an energy out there that you know, of good not evil, but a good out there in the world. No, that's excellent. Thank you so much again, Sean. Really great to have you on the show. Appreciate your perspective and all the great work you're doing to um, instill that oneness virtually. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.